Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 251 of the podcast for May 26, 2016. Today's episode is a little bit different than normal in that it is some audio shared by the good folks at Lean Frontiers. They recently hosted a webinar where Jim Hunsinger, the founder and president of Lean Frontiers, asked questions that were answered by Russ Scafidi about lean leadership. Russ has a lot of wisdom and experience to share. I really enjoyed the webinar, so I asked Jim if I could share the audio here. Uh, Russ is a big part of an upcoming event called the Summit on Lean Leadership, which is being produced by Lean Frontiers. It's being held June 21st and 22nd in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you register, you can save 25% by using the discount code LEANBLOG. That's just all one word, LEANBLOG. I should also mention that I'm gonna be a keynote speaker at their upcoming Lean Accounting Summit, which is being held in San Antonio this August. So you can learn more about the Summit on Lean Leadership by going to thesummitonleanleadership.com. And you can uh, also go to leanaccountingsummit.com or leanfrontiers.com. In the discussion that I'm sharing here, Russ Scafidi shares a lot of gems, not just about how Toyota does things, as he learned in his time working at Toyota in Georgetown, Kentucky, but also some really important insights about transforming an organization that is not Toyota, as he learned from his experience in leadership roles at uh, Tierra Yachts and other companies. So. A lot to learn here, a lot of great tips. I hope you enjoy it. Um, for links and more information, go to leanblog.org slash 251. Thank you, Russ, for being here. It's always uh, great to talk with you. I know it's been a while since you and I have uh, uh, ran into each other and seen each other, but it's um, good to have this opportunity to, uh, to ask you some questions. All right. So, well, first, Russ, just a pretty straightforward question, but I think an important one is, from your perspective, what makes a good lean leader? You know, a good lean leader to me, number one, has to have passion. Um, you know, the uh, the mode of operating of staying in an office or uh, guiding from a uh, autocratic type of uh, of uh, leadership no longer works in a lean organization. You've got to have passion, and you've got to have a vision. Uh, the thing we'll talk about through most of this web uh, conference is that uh, we've lost the term vision in the in lean and. Uh, these leaders have to have a vision of what their organization might look like five to ten years down the line if lean was up and working appropriately in their company. So passion and vision, I think, are the two key characteristics of a good lean leader. Okay, great. Well, um, certainly um, this next question is actually kind of a combination of multitude of people kind of ask this in different forms, but uh, uh, and also probably the follow-up question after that. But how do you get... Uh, um, I guess it, they asked, how do you get a 20th century command and control manager to embrace um, lean leadership? That's very good. I think probably the biggest failure with lean in the country, uh, and you can even cite uh, Jeff Liker's book, uh, The Toyota Way, and some of the things he's mentioned. Uh, again, it goes back to lean as a system and a leadership team. And it's not hard to understand, but back in the 70s and the 80s and through even the current day, um, many people went over and started to learn about lean at different Japanese companies, but in particular Toyota, and they came back and they became consultants in, uh, you know, quick minute uh, die changes and Kanbans and uh, 
uh, Kaizans and those types of events. And the leadership team picked these up as the avenue to change the organization, whereas uh, the leader has to understand what Toyota developed from 1955 until we finally found out about them in 1970 was a completely different system of operation and that was led significantly without question by a, leading, a guiding leadership team within Toyota over the years uh, to allow it to, to uh, expand to every functional department in the organization. So um, we've got to get away from the idea of tool thinking and get our leadership engaged in system thinking as we go forward. That's what they need going into the, uh, the uh, current century. I see. Is, is there any um, specific tactic or technique that's uh, most effective of getting people in leadership positions on um, truly on board, I guess, not just on board, but really truly on board that uh, you've had to deal with or have utilized? Yeah, I mean, to me, first of all, they've got to understand, and, and I think, again, I think there's a lack of understanding, uh, so some of these types of, of uh, summits, like we're talking the Lean Leadership Summit coming up and some of the other seminars, we need some executive leadership to show up there, number one. Number two, they need to be educated into the idea that Lean is a system, and I never advocate anybody try to be Toyota, but you certainly have to understand Toyota first since they are the benchmark and what drives the Toyota organization to be as successful as they are with all their employees. And once the executive team or the lean leadership team understands that, then they need to get on board and develop the vision for their organization and the methodology and implementation strategy that they're going to support going forward. And then again, they have to have the passion, the vision, and the ability to get on the floor and support the team going forward. Sure. Okay. What, um, and speaking about Toyota, Toyota, obviously with your experience at Toyota, um, what are some of the key Keys you think that Toyota's done in order to keep, I guess, lean alive in your organization and moving forward for uh, for so many years now, decades really. Yeah, it, it comes down to several things. First of all, um, Toyota developed a system that was quite opposite that of Henry Ford's mass production system. So you've all heard for years about just-in-time and level production schedules, and that is to minimize and increase minimize material and increase throughput. And then there are specific tools of central market areas, mailing addresses, Kanban systems, tools that were developed to support that. One that is much less understood is uh, in-station process control and the tools of standardized work and the tools of an in-station process check sheet and on board team leaders. What Toyota did is they developed a system and then they developed tools to support that system. And then the real key uh, that I observed both when I observed at NUMI and then eventually my experience in Georgetown, Kentucky, was the use of these tools in a true team member engagement system. So the reason they continue to be so successful is they've developed a system that engages every employee in the company in making continuous improvement every day and any time they want to help the, the company make improvement. And these tools, as I refer to it, are more of a safety outlet that bad things can't happen. They change their own standardized work, they, they do their own problem solving, and then they activate the tools to make sure that the standard is set and that the, the quality or the performance is maintained going out the back door. So it, basically it comes down to ongoing team member involvement and team member engagement. Okay. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned some of these tools that they, they use. 
um, what are some of the key tools that they use to engage everyone? And, and certainly we, we are aware of today that it isn't about the tools. How do they um, utilize those tools but yet not make it just about the tools? Well, again, so they, they, they decided rather than inspect in and repair down the line, which many of us still do today, even though I, I go to many companies that say every team member has the ability to stop the line, uh, actually the same as when I joined Donnelly, but if you talk to the team members, they said if we ever started doing that with all the problems, we'd never run. Uh, Toyota developed a philosophy that said we're going to move upstream and we're going to develop a method whereby we can control cost and quality in each station, whether it be machining or staffing, and then they employed these tools of standardized work, and-on systems, team leader responses to and-on systems, and the same thing goes with JIT and level production schedules and the tools supporting those. Then they set up problem-solving uh, participation models and opportunities. Uh, when I got to Donley, it's the first I had heard about the Scanlon plan, and, and I'm not uh, here putting a pitch on for the Scanlon plan itself as, as it is, but uh, the four elements of Scanlon plan, which I truly believe after the war uh, Toyota heard about, was uh, team member identity, that's identity with your job, identity with the company, competency, and that is competency to do your job, training in standardized work, training in problem solving, training in small team participation. And then there's equity, and, uh, and then there's participation. And what I always found significant, and it, it worked in spades in Toyota, was the statement was it's management's responsibility to offer participation opportunities, it's team members' responsibility to accept participation opportunities, but if at first management doesn't sit down and define and offer those opportunities, then team members can't truly engage. And when I left Toyota, uh, I won't go into detail, but we had five uh, major team participation opportunities that every team member of the facility knew how to join one of those teams, how long they would be on overtime in that team, how they had a team leader, and they knew the problem-solving methodology that would be followed in those meetings. And once we painted that picture for them, we found that they readily engaged and participated on a regular basis, fostering continuous improvement for the company. And they were very, very proud of it and identified with their improvements within the company. Okay. Um Good. One thing you mentioned, and this, this, this goes back to, again, a lot of folks that asked this question was, um, and you touched on some of this, but what, what are some of the things that are unique about a Toyota, Toyota's approach to problem solving, and, um, and maybe circle back around with these, and how do they get these skills into their folks, um, you know, through, I guess through the, their training, deployment, and even sustaining them over the long, long term? Yeah, so Toyota spends a tremendous amount of effort of training their leaders, and when I talk about leaders, I'm talking first-line supervisors in what they call team leaders. Uh, I often respond to that to think of your team leader as either your quarterback on the field, the point guard on a, on a basketball team, or the platoon sergeant in a military setting, and then you've got the coach, and that's the first-line supervisor on the sideline, you know, they have the responsibility to hire and fire and give direction, but they also jump in and support those team leaders and support the team members. Now, what happens is Toyota significantly trains the team leaders and the first-line supervisors, and usually in a pre-promotion category. So if a team member eventually wants to become a team leader, uh, they will take pre-promotion on problem-solving 
and problem-solving leadership right up front. And then what they do, using a very systematic annual planning process, quite a few companies have heard of that as Hoshin in the United States, but a cascading annual planning process, uh, month in, month out, day in, day out at the floor level, the teams are encouraged to monitor the key measures, and then the teams are encouraged to form up in small teams of four to five people, again, with a significant leader, and what is very significant, the entire organization uses a standard manufacturing floor-level problem-solving system and methodology, so they only train one methodology, and every team member knows as they get into it, and they learn extensively by going through those series of scientific uh, management-type steps. But it, it is a standard system throughout the organization, and uh, they just use it over and over and over in small teams. See, so you mentioned this, like particularly the, the frontline supervisor, kind of being in a, in a unique quarterback position, and but they also do coaching. So are there are there um, techniques, skills that they train, and how do they how do they develop those guys in order to be in that coaching um, position? And I'm, I guess I'm making some level of assumption, but I'm assuming they help coach with some of the problem solving that needs to be done on a daily basis. Absolutely. They, so so first of all. The team leader that we mentioned, the quarterback on the field or the point guard or the platoon sergeant, they are absolutely invaluable to the success. You know, I was a supervisor for 10 years at General Motors, and uh, uh, we had extra people and we had different positions, but we didn't have anything like this team leader I'm talking about at Toyota. Those team leaders are on the floor 100% of the time supporting the team members, answering the end on calls, and keeping the process running. With that being said, the supervisor now can do much more of a coaching job, a supervisor's job of understanding how the family life with the team members, what some of the issues are, as well as training. And they use extensive, you know, TWI training within industry material for standardized work and job instruction training. Um, they have used in the past Dr. Deming's statistical methodology. But again, they train that first-line supervisor in those team leaders, and then they support each other with the the expectation, when I mention competency, uh, these are not the R&D type training that, that is often talked about. These are competency training, and once you leave this training, you are expected to go out and start applying this training with your team members. Now, be clear, when Toyota talks about attack time or a line speed meeting customer demand, uh, from whistle to whistle, uh, these operators are performing their tasks. So all of their team participation uh, takes place on overtime, and that is part of the model that's presented, how much overtime a week you'll be allowed. And, and in defense, after 2008, I know for a fact from keeping close to some of my friends, obviously they stopped that overtime, and their team participation did take place after they slowed the lines down and uh, during normal work hours. But in a normal operating condition like we're getting back to today, uh, those participation opportunities would all be on overtime hours with volunteers and one of these leaders set up in front of them. So another question comes in, do you have, uh, what would be your suggestions, I guess also too, knowing that obviously you worked at Toyota for quite a while, but also you've worked at uh, and led non-Toyota organizations, what would you suggest on how to start a, you know, kind of a lean leader coaching process, maybe, you know, particularly with a team that's already been together and already working for, for a number of years, I guess, for those companies that, uh, that have been around for a while but wanting to go down this road? 
You know, again, and it's the same thing. I did have the privilege and opportunity to speak at the University of Michigan or to talk, uh, teach at the University of Michigan for several years in their lean certification program. And I always taught the last day of the course called leading the change. And uh, one of the things that I did, and, you know, I don't know how successful people were, but I always encouraged them that after that two weeks they had spent there, and especially the last day, uh, talking predominantly the whole day about Toyota's manufacturing system, they go back and find the highest executive that will sit down and listen to them. You know, at Donnelly, I was the global vice president of manufacturing. At Tierra Yachts, I was the vice president of manufacturing. And that's, you know, that can get a, a good start going. But eventually, uh, you've got to get to the leadership. And again, you've got to sit down and get them the vision. Um, you know, I, I think if the vision isn't there, then you should find a very good uh, lean consultant that truly understands uh, the, the, the executive leadership. They've got to get trained first before they can coach into what their vision is. You know, it would be like coming into a sports team and trying to coach a quarterback and the lineman without having any system. You're just going to come in and start coaching them. It's not going to work. If you, yeah. if you get hired into that team as the coach or the general manager, uh, you are certainly going to come in and uh, come in with a system and start to teach that system. And that's number one. If they don't have that, they're just sending their people out to learn lean tools with the expectation that they'll come back on their own and put them in. So you've got to get to the highest level you can in the organization and start to talk to them about a systematic approach to what we're trying to change. So would that be, I mean, there's, there's some skills they need to learn um, as part of that, but also, as you mentioned, a system. So are there some systems, system items or system things that need to be in place in the organization in order to make that successful? Well, you know, I think it's a change vision. I, I always, I've been referring lately in a lot of my work with uh, John Carter's uh, uh, Leading Change, the, the professor from Harvard that has the book out, Leading Change. He has seven steps. And what I refer to with the executive team, the number one step is to have a sense of urgency or there needs to be a sense of urgency. The number two step is to have the vision. And then the number three step is to form a guiding coalition. And if we're talking at the executive team level, or the middle management level, to me, those are the criteria that uh, that those those members have to develop to be successful. And, and I'm working with one company right now that is working very well. Uh, you've got to get that team number one to we say uh, uh, have every team member understand business reality. Every one of our businesses today, no matter how successful you are, can be threatened. We certainly found that out at General Motors. So anybody that is uh, relaxed and thinks they're okay because they're making a good profit is probably doomed down the line someday. They've got to get business reality out to every person in the company. Then they've got to develop this vision. If you're in manufacturing, it's very hard for me to get away from in-station process control. There may be some companies that say, I'd like to design a product that could never have a defect or never get an abnormality in a station. Well, that would be the ultimate, but what Toyota knew is sometime during the day in the processing of engines, cars, transmissions, and foundries, there are going to be defects. So what we want to do is control all opportunities of that within the station that is presented. And then number two is the uh, maintaining and control of material using Kanban and pull systems, level production schedules, and then putting the people in the middle and developing those people models those are the three main criteria that I think need to be developed. And then what I found out at Toyota, and I cannot overemphasize it enough, 
is the effective use of a cascading annual plan all the way down to every first-line supervisor's level so that every team member in your organization truly understands what's important for us to improve on this year and how to get involved and help that happen. So I guess there'd be those four criteria to me would be critical. Uh, In-station process control, JIT level schedule, people involvement systems, uh, participation opportunities, and a cascading annual plan. If you could build your vision around that in manufacturing, uh, and it's going to be different for every manufacturer. Sure. You know, not everybody is a high-speed automotive company. It has to be developed for your company. The model we developed at Tierra Yachts is completely different since our tack times were everything from three days to ten days. Uh, it did me no good to come in there and try to train uh, lean training as it is out there today for standardized work and Kanban systems and delivery systems. We had to adopt it all to meet that slow build system. So our, our whole system view was completely different at the yacht building. Again, you should understand Toyota. I train all my leaders in Toyota. Then I say, now let's develop our system that meets what we need to do to go forward. And then I was the leader of that. And basically all I did was brought the system, the passion, and the drive. The teams picked up and did everything. I, you, know, you can't say enough about the thousands of workers I've had opportunity to work with. Sure. Well, one thing that uh, you, you touched on this a bit, but maybe going a little bit more, but certainly one, one question that does come up or hurdle that uh, folks run into, they're making the assumption that their senior management, executive management is on board, but getting over that middle management hurdle, how do you, how do, how do you suggest organizations get their middle management on board and get over that hurdle to, to get them engaged and going? Well, I'll be honest, and, and it's even written in some Toyota literature I got from early on, but uh, in the middle management ranks, um, you literally, as an executive leader, you have to be very clear, this is the direction we're going. So, you know, it, it's like, uh, uh, I forget the book, uh, Good to Great, and get the right people on the bus. Uh, they either have to get on board, and they're on the bus, and they're driving with you, or they got to get off. And I'll be very honest, and these are still some, what I consider very good friends today, but uh, out of six managers, plant managers, uh, that were in North America at the Donnelly Corporation, uh, within a year, I lost three of them uh, because they said, <coughs> excuse me, you know, we don't plan to go to the floor and spend the time out there like you're trying to indicate we need to. And I never had to fire anybody. My statement would always be then, you know, just tell me where and when you're going to go to work because if you're going to work here, I will expect the managers out there on the floor driving this change. And there is no exception to it. <coughs> excuse me. And three of them did leave. They got good jobs. We're still good friends. But, uh, you know, you, once you get your system going, you can't tolerate management staff that's not on board with you. Sure. Is, is there some level of, um, and you've talked through a lot of this, but just for maybe clarity purposes, is there some level of cascade or priority, um, top management on board, middle management, or frontline management? Is there a, a particular order or suggestion from your experience? Yeah, my, my experience is when you get in a plant level, uh, you should always start with uh, looking at the plant, not just from a value stream map, but uh, I show a particular video that came out of the Society of Manufacturing Engineers. It was while I was living in Europe with Donnelly. They actually chose our plant to uh, put a video out on uh, value stream mapping. But in that video, um, 
it shows one segment where uh, Art Smalley, who was leading the uh, Donnelly production system, and Art worked in Japan at Camigo with me for years. Uh, he lived and worked in Japan. Uh, Art worked with the team in this one plant, Grand Haven, and stood on top of the plant and, and said, let's just do a plant layout the way it is right now. And then said, if we had a greenfield application minus the paint shop, which we weren't going to move, and minus the molding machines we weren't going to move, how would we lay this plan out different? And anybody that could look at that, it was a completely different vision uh, pertaining to the flow of the material through the plant. So number one is getting the flow of the material through the plant. Then number two is setting up your central market areas, your material flow. And then most companies that I've been with are going to block right off the bat that, well, you don't understand our business. We can't do level schedule. Well, uh, level schedule doesn't mean you build batch of one, but I think if you look back in history, you'll probably find there is some form of level scheduling you can do. And if you really understand JIT, uh, you cannot minimize material without doing level schedule. The bigger batches you run, the more material you've got to have on hand. Once you start down that journey, I think then the next part will lead into in-station process control techniques of either total productive maintenance on machinery because it breaks down too frequent or uh, total quality uh, planning within a station because defects are too many to reduce the bank any further. And once you start down that journey, uh, then I think you'll see that the team member participation will engage once they see they can help you. So again, start with material flow, material reduction, material control, then lead into in-station process control techniques and employee engagement techniques. One other question, and this question, um, a number of people ask this, and this is certainly one we get at our, our summits, um, all the summits, no matter which subject matter they're on and over all the years, was people more in kind of the middle management role coming, coming in and asking the question, how do we get our executive management on board? Do you have any particular suggestions for, the, for those people? Yeah, and it's it's back the same way, you know. If if they either have to get to someone after they've been to some training and some understanding and convince them of it, or um, they have to encourage them to bring in somebody that understands a company like Toyota and understands it from a systematic view and can discuss with them the idea of a system. Uh, one other thing you might uh, throw out there, uh, it was interesting, Mr. Cho, Fujio Cho was my supervisor for years at Toyota. And um, one day he called me over and, and actually asked me to take on an assignment of putting a group together to uh, put the Toyota production system in the English language because we always taught it in Jinglish. And that's okay. what we called the language down there, Jinglish. And, uh, but he said it was interesting. He handed me a book, and the book was Ford Today and Tomorrow. And it was, uh, it was uh, published by Henry Ford in 1924. I actually found an original copy. I've got it at the... Uh, at an antique show here in town, but um, if you read that book, what Mr. Cho said was if you read this book, I think you'll find what 80 to 90 percent of our ideas and philosophies come from. Now to go home and read that book, and again be careful, there's other books out there with similar titles, but this one is Henry Ford, uh, Ford Today and Tomorrow, 1924, uh, Productivity Inc. had it in press, and I think you can get it on Amazon. But if yeah. you read that book as an executive and you understand anything about lean, it is absolutely scary what Henry Ford had to say about a lean journey back in 1924. And, you know, this stuff didn't all come out of Japan. You sit there and you think, what, what happened from this man's mind out to the manufacturing floor? And that's a whole other discussion. 
But, uh, you know, if an executive was to sit and read that, I think their eyes would be opened up significantly on waste reduction, standardized work, um, treatment of employees, different things along those lines. Just this tenacious, tenacious, tenacious drive to eliminate waste and increase throughput. Um, so it, it's a pretty significant book. Yeah, it is an amazing book. Well, good. Well, we're about to our target time, so I'm going to ask one more question to kind of kind of wrap it up. And get, sorry, we didn't get to, to all the questions, but uh, anyway, so um, what uh, what new frontier do you see for Lean? You know, now and even in the upcoming years, is there anything you see out there on the horizon coming up? Well, you know, I, I don't <laughs> I don't believe anybody in my lifetime is ever going to catch Toyota. And my first statement is, don't try to leapfrog them. Uh, they work every day so fast on continuous improvements, staying within the boundaries of their system, uh, that you're not going to leapfrog too, too, too quick. You've got to get your system going to get going. The one place that I've always argued a little bit, even with uh, some of my Japanese friends, because they do use so little, is someday, I have said openly, someday somebody is going to be able to use technology and beat the Toyota production system. But I certainly haven't seen it yet, and uh, Masahara Sato, Bud Sato, my executive coordinator and dear friend, um, his statement to me, and, and just put this in the back of your mind, he said, you might be right, but his statement, and sometimes they make some funny statements to you, obviously with the language differences, it won't, and I won't say what he exactly said, but it won't be you Americans, because when you get your hands on technology, you try to solve everything. You put more waste in the system than you do good. So I'm still a believer that someday people can start using some technology strategically and they can offset the Toyota production system in many ways. But I certainly haven't seen it yet and somewhat doubt that I will in my lifetime. Okay. Well, good. Well, that's certainly, that's certainly uh, interesting. And, uh, yeah, it's amazing uh, the way technology is moving forward and uh, that'll, that will come to pass eventually. Well, we're, we're certainly here at our, here our, here our target time, Russ. And, uh, again, Thank you so much for taking your time to share your insight and experience with everybody today. And um, you know, 30 minutes is pretty short time, but hopefully people got, uh, I know they did listen to you, got some insight onto that. But uh, the other exciting thing is um, we will have you at the Summit on Lean Leadership in Charlotte coming up. So we're excited to have you there for that and have more, much more time with you there. And I guess, Jacqueline, I'll throw it back to you to close things up. Thank you. Thank everybody. Thank you very much. So this is Mark Rabin again. I want to thank once again Lean Frontiers. I want to thank Jim Hunsinger for asking questions to Russ Scafidi for sharing his experience and wisdom here. And again, if you'd like to learn more about the Summit on Lean and Leadership or the Lean Accounting Summit, go to leanfrontiers.com, the Summit on Lean Leadership.com, or leanaccountingsummit.com. I encourage you to check out what they have to offer and uh, to register for those events if you can. Hope to see you there. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.